Hi, I'm Tim Hernandez. Welcome to another edition of Words on a Wire. Our special guest today is Seema Reza. She's the author of A Constellation of Half-Lives, a book of poetry that we'll be speaking with her about today, and the memoir, When the World Breaks Open, which was, uh, I believe it was our best, one of our best selections, one of our top picks for 2016. Seema is based out of Washington, D.C. in the Maryland area. She's the chair and executive director of Community Building Arts Works, who um, they offer quite a few uh, writing workshops uh, virtually right now. She has performed her work across the country at universities, theaters, festivals, bookstores, conferences, and any other place you can, you can imagine. Uh, we're very fortunate to have her uh, as our guest for a second time, and that's coming up right now. So stick around on Words on a Wire. Seema Reza, welcome to Words on a Wire. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad to be here. Of course. And I know that you are calling us from Maryland, correct? That's Wonderful. right. Awesome. I want to remind our listeners just briefly that we're, this is the pandemic version of Words on a Wire. So we are recording actually from our own homes, um, me and my home here in El Paso and Seema and her home there in Maryland. And so if the sound quality kind of cuts in and out a little bit, just forgive us for some of that. But we will... Um, try and get the essence of Seema and her work and spirit across to you all anyway. So um, Seema, it's so great to see you and to, to talk with you again and um, to talk about this new book you have, um, which came out last year. But um, I still like all your books, even your first book, uh, When the World Breaks Open, I still I mean, this is like a this is almost like a little embarrassing confession, maybe, but I still read. I mean, like I read it all the time. I still crack open your work and read it. And sometimes I'll text you and be like, oh, my God, this is like changing my life in this moment, you know, because it's, I'm not I'm not even just saying it. like I, it's genuinely your work just blows me away. Um, and it stays with me for such a long period of time afterward. And so when I was reading these poems, I've been reading them over the last year. And it's just um, it does the same to me. It makes me want to write. It makes me want to think differently about the way I live. It's just, it's just some really great stuff. So congratulations first on your, on the second Thank book. Thank you so much. And thanks for, for all those words, especially it makes me want to write, you know? Oh yeah. You want to write does. things that invite people. For sure. For sure. And I should mention the title, actually, the book is called A Constellation of Half Lives and it's published with A Right Bloody Book. Um, and that's right. This is your second book. Is that, is that right? It is. Awesome. And um, so I have like a lot of questions, but before we get into them, why don't you share um, one of the poems from the book? Absolutely. Um, this poem is called Fortune. And it's the one that I wasn't sure I was gonna put in until, until the end. So, Fortune. I'm not supposed to know what it means to pass someone the AK. I'm not supposed to know that sometimes people get killed because they, we, all look alike and retaliation does not always require accuracy. I am an American civilian. I am absolutely not supposed to know how often a child holding a gun or a child holding a cell phone or a child holding a long string attached to a paper kite rocking in the sky is shot and killed in my name. I'm not supposed to know that there's no way out of this. That 4,000 more troops is the integer, some undetermined number is the exponent, and the figure represents nightmares per night on Earth. I'm not supposed to know that the Afghan boy he shot on his last deployment, the one that brought him spinning into my life, looked just like my son, but smaller and less lucky. And his mother 
who is less lucky than me must know all these things too. And if you're just tuning in with us, that's the voice of Maryland-based poet and memoirist, um, Seema Reza. Seema, thank you. That's, um, like all your work, a very heavy um, uh, poem. Can you tell, tell me a little bit about that poem? What inspired um, that? Yeah, so that poem was written from the prompt of I'm Not Supposed to Know, given to me by Susanna Sonnenberg at the Fine Art Work Center. I was studying with her. Mm. And um, if you ever have a chance to take a class with her, she just cuts you right open. Um, nice. <laughs> and I started to think about, you know, for many years I've done this work in the military health system, leading right. poetry workshops with service members mostly service members and veterans though, um, dealing with post-traumatic stress related to service, but also related to living on this, on this wrecked planet, right? Right, right. Um, but particularly the things that have to do with what my tax dollars, what's being done in my name by mm -hmm. my government mm -hmm. and by the men and women who sign up to protect us. Um, just like I started to think about like all the things that I know that I as an American civilian am, I, am not supposed to know and that are so completely plainly clear to right. the people in those countries um, right. that our troops are deployed to. Right. I imagine, uh, well, I, I actually know because that we've had many conversations about your writing as well and your work um, that, that you've been doing there for, for a long time now. But, you know, how much of that really has um, an impact in your writing? You know, how much of it informs your writing, you know, the work that you're doing there with them? Um, is it still considered the Wounded Warriors Project um, or is it under a different um, organization? Or I don't um so our organization is Community Building Artworks. Wounded Warrior Project is another nonprofit. Um, I think they're moving away from the name within the military of Wounded Warriors. Okay. Okay. Um, but they're wounded, ill, injured, transitioning. Right, right. And you lead and you've been leading these workshop writing workshops with them and, and sort of these just these various types of workshops with them for years now, right? Yeah, for a decade. Right, for a year. decade. Wow. wow, yeah. Because, I mean, all of that really does, you know, just um, comes through in, in this book and even your previous book also. Um, but the way that you're able to, I think, um, I don't want to use the word mind because it feels like such a, just an intrusive word, but, but maybe the way you're able to sort of extract the nutrients and the value from those exchanges you have with the, this community um, and then apply that into your writing, you know, into your own life. So it feels like it feels very intimate, your writing, but it feels also like you're applying the, what you're learning into your life. And then through that, filtering that into the poems. Is that? Yeah. Is that I think that's, yeah, I think that's a really great way to say it. I think what it is, is that I'm not, I lead these workshops just because somebody's got to be called the leader, but um really I'm learning in them as much. It's, right. these are spaces in which, and I, I, you know, I've led workshops within detention centers, um, on cancer wards, and in all of these places where people are like flayed open and are, are done with the mask. Right. Um, you're invited if you, if you choose to take that invitation as, as an outsider, as a leader, um, of a workshop in those spaces, you're invited then to take your mask off too. 
right. and to examine like these deep pools of overlap that exist in different kinds of grief. Mm, um, yeah. You know, it's regret right. and it's, it's all the stuff that's familiar to me. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, it makes me think I, I know for myself personally, when I'm exploring a subject in my books, um, you know, uh, that really the reason is that I have, I have so many questions, um, you know, about my own existence. Um, and, and I'm, and I'm led by this sense of wanting to discover uh, what the source of that is, what the, the cure for that is. I want to discover, and I don't, I never have answers. They're just questions. Um, is that would that is that kind of what you're talking about here? Is that what you're also? Do you feel like you're doing that? Yeah. Like. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Never have answers, and I love this idea of like I'm trying. I'm seeking a cure for 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 myself mm -hmm. as well. Um, yeah. And you know, when I started this work, maybe a few months into the work, certainly less than a year after I started at the old Walter Reed Army Medical Center, my father died very suddenly. He. He drowned in the ocean and we weren't speaking at the time. And I felt alone and awash and my marriage was falling apart. And, you know, when the world breaks open, it's about that time. Yeah. Um, and being in these communities at Walter Reed um, and then later at Fort Belvoir Community Hospital as well, which is another military installation in the area. Um, it saved my life as much as anyone will tell you that my workshop save theirs right um because to have spaces where we can be like is it normal to feel this way yeah yeah it's it's just like so essential it is it is absolutely essential um and you know i know and you mentioned your previous book uh, which is a memoir uh, although I would I would argue written and written very much and structured like poetry as well, um, you know it's it's a beautiful memoir and like I said it actually came to me at a time in my life too where things were just upside down and and uh, it just was really it 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 helped sort of light the path a little bit um, for what I was enduring at at that time as well, um, but you know there's this level there's this incredible wait can you hear me. Can you yeah. hear me? Okay. Okay. There's this incredible level that you reach this level of intimacy that you write, that you, that you accomplish in your, in your writing in that previous book. And, and then when I, when I first heard that this book, uh, constellation of half lives was coming out and it was poetry. Um, I was just kind of, I was really curious as a fan of your other book. I was really curious as a fan of your memoir, like what she's, what she's going to do with the poems and um, obviously did not disappoint. Um, but you also access that same degree and depth of just uh, of, of, you know, of intimacy, of real hard truth of uh, all of that is are in these poems as well. Is that now this might, this might sound like a really kind of a, a a fluffy question, but, but it's also something that I, I'm always curious to know myself, you know, is that easy for you to do? Uh, or is that something that like to craft one of these poems, just one, does it take you weeks or months to process before you're able to feel like you can release it into the world? Oh, I mean, What's you the know, process, how, basically? You, yeah. you know how it is, right? Like in, by the time I sit down with the pen, I've been thinking about this thing for so long, right? I've right. been trying not to write it oftentimes uh. for so long. 
or writing drafts of it in my head as I like ride the bus or, you know, whatever, back when people rode the bus were able to, Um, (laughs) there was somewhere to go. Um, But yeah, like, so some poems of course come like fully formed, then, you know, like Athena from Zeus's head, just like, oh, there it is. Um, But many of the poems I'll, I'll start as like prose and then I'm like, no, that's not right. And then I'll, you know, like, so I'll switch form, form back and forth. So I guess that was a long way to say sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, you know, let me, let me um, ask you a little bit more about that. The idea of switching forms, because the way you spoke about it right now, the way you speak of it, um, it, it feels kind of um, that you allow the process, the subject to organically find its form versus you imposing a form on it. Like today, I'm going to write a poem about X. It's more like I'm going to just, there's a subject and you're going to put it, commit it to words and, and then let that determine the form. Is that? Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes it takes like, multiple, multiple passes, I'll be trying to like stretch something into an essay because I wanted to write an essay about this thing. And really I just needed this one sentence, like there is a poem in here um, that's basically just a sentence um, that I had been, it was in an essay and it didn't belong in the essay. And I thought, well, maybe I need to write more about it, but actually it, it just needed to be lifted and let let breathe, you know. I, I do know. Um, um, what would you share that one with us? Yes, absolutely. Um, it is called. I'm looking for it. Sorry, it's it's called. It has a long title in quotes. If Baba gets remarried, it's really over between the two of you. My son cups the glowing wick of a candle already blown out and calls it light. <laughs> yes, yes. I, I just read that this morning, that exact one. And, <laughs> and I was like, I'm going to ask her about it. So I'm glad it just came up on its own. <laughs> but if you're just tuning in with us right now, we're talking with uh, Maryland-based poet and memoirist Simo Reza um, about her new book, A Constellation of Half-Lives, came out with a right bloody book. Um, and then you have this whole section titled Reckoning with Impermanence that is a lot of reflections too about your father as well, about your family. Um, How did that come about, that section? Yeah, so that's actually a crown of sonnets. Mm. Um, Yeah, that's right. And and when my son was 16, right before When the World Breaks Open, we we were, we took that drive on Route 1 Mm-hmm. You know, um, and it was one of the most beautiful times. And I just felt like this grief. And I thought, gosh, why are beautiful things? Why do they make me so sad? Why does looking at my child sleep make me so heart filled and maddeningly sad? Yeah, It's like, or even listening to beautiful music, but this, this impermanence. Um, and I was like, how could I possibly write anything, any poem about this? And I was introduced to the, to the idea of a crown of sonnets, um, in a workshop I took with Janez Smith. And I was like, okay, this is a form where I could sit with this idea and see what it has. 
can you can you just briefly explain for our listeners what a crown of sonnets is? Ah, a crown of sonnets is a group of 15 sonnets in which the last line of the first sonnet becomes the first line of the next sonnet um, and so on and so forth. And then the jewel in the crown, which I did not do, um, is comprised of just all of those last line, first lines. Um, so it's a, it's a, it's a crown without a jewel. <laughs> what's, what's the what's the symbolism behind that <laughs> it's for it's another book circle, you know yeah that's that's by my next book to find out <laughs> <laughs> totally yeah yeah it's and it's it's not it's a beautiful thing uh to see to read a crown of science it's a beautiful thing to to look at it's just a beautiful work of art because it's also extremely difficult to do um, I think I tr attempted one a few years ago and I just gave up at the second one. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute, I got to connect the what? It felt like math to me. But, yeah. but, <laughs> anyways, no, it's, it's a beautiful um, work from that, that piece in particular. Um, you also have another section um, and I, and I want to kind of uh, walk tenderly around this, but it's, it's a section called the Khadija poems that appear Um and I know that you had previously mentioned, you know, working, it was a real exchange with someone that these poems, I guess, are based on. Uh, what was the impetus for that? And, and then also, what's the tender process of writing um, poems based on others' lives? Yeah, I mean, so the Khadija poems, they're written to an imagined, though not quite fictional woman living on the other side of mm. the global war on terror, um, yeah. which of course our country is still engaged in. Right. And I had been hearing, imagining this woman, Khadija, really from early on in doing this work, um, because so often the really big traumatic combat events that service members um, who come home and are grappling with how to live have to do with the death of children. You know, um, sometimes witnessing it, sometimes being responsible for it. And I would think again and again, you know, my sons are both the very, my, my ex-husband is from sort of North India and my sons both look like pretty Middle Eastern, right? My younger son looks very Afghani. My older son um, looks pretty Iraqi actually. And sometimes people would even have pictures of the kids, you know, because they've wow. been kids in the neighborhood um, where the base was or that they'd seen on patrol. Right. And I kind of touched on that in that first poem that I shared. And I kept thinking like, what is their, their mother doing, right? Like what are the mothers of these kids doing while well, I'm sitting here comforting, you know, um, the people who I imagine she holds responsible. Right. Um, mm. And so I wrote her letters. And instead of guessing what she thought, I, you know, the beauty of an epistle is that it was a letter. So I just asked her, okay, what do right. you? What do you think about this? Um, right. Would you mind sharing one of those poems with us? Yeah, sure. Okay. Um, and there, so there's this sort of peppered throughout 
Yeah. And I'm looking for one that's not too long. Um, yeah, and you're welcome to even read a section of one if you'd like. Um, I, I like the Unspecial Women, the, the one on page 23. Okay. A, yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll read the last section of that one. Okay. All right. Um, four. I am soft, bending, addicted to comfort. I've done nothing to deserve. I'm a kind woman, pretty, unspecial, cruel, impatient, unforgiving, entitled, and swaggering, and American, faced with violence. I am certain I would surrender immediately. Except on ordinary days, when the children kick one another under the table and the air conditioner and oven are running at once, I cannot convince myself that you were not here yesterday, that I could not be there tomorrow. Wonderful. And this is um, poet and memoirist Seema Reza, who's reading from her book, Constellation, A Constellation of Half-Lives. And that was from one of the uh, Dear Khadija poems. Um, I want to talk. I wanted to ask you actually about at the in the afterward, which is a, it's a beautiful afterward. Um, I, I return to that also um, as a writer. Sometimes you know we have to, as as you know, but I'm speaking to the listeners out there as writers. You know, we we often find um, support and even solace and comfort even in in reading uh, the process uh, that other writers um, go through, the thought process uh, in terms of you know where where their writing fits in the world, why they're, why they're doing that. Because, you know, the truth is at the end of the day, uh, I mean, it's a, it's a privilege and a beautiful thing to, to write and uh, which we all can do, but, um, but it's also a very, you know, solitary process. And yeah. sometimes you don't know. And then when you're trying to construct poems or, or prose for a reader that'll be published one day, you, it's really kind of a feeling of like, am I wasting my time doing this or am I doing this for something? And who is it for this imagined, right? Yeah. And so, and so you, you writing this essay and, and including that at, at the back, um, first, why don't you, before I ask you my question about it, why don't you tell me a little bit about what, you know, where that came from the essay in the back, where, why you wrote that one? Um, so I had delivered it as the commencement speech for my, um, my, my master's program. Mm -hmm. Um, my class, my little class at Goddard Graduate Institute uh, asked me to, to give that speech. And I'd been thinking a lot about that dream. There was, I, it opens with this scene that's this dream that I really had um, where there was a monster knocking on my door and my bedroom door and I tried to close the door and I couldn't couldn't hold the door closed. I couldn't hold the monster away. And when I opened the door, it was a, it was a little monster, but very scary. And I thought there's no way I can defeat this monster. I had nothing, right? I'm, I'm not very strong and I didn't have any <laughs> weapons. And I thought, gosh, all I can do is be kind. And so, you know, in the dream, I, I took the monster into my little, my little kitchen and fed her a banana and the nicest banana I had and a glass of milk. And as she drank the milk and ate the banana, she became an ordinary girl, just a regular kid. Um, I am not a naturally kind person, you know? Uh, I don't know about that, but. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm like, 
I'm petty and I'm, you know, like I have a temper and I'm snide and all of these things. And I work really hard at being kind, you know? Um, and I don't know if it's because it's the, it's the stronger weapon that I have and, mm -hmm. you know, weapon meaning stronger tool to right. change. But that has been something really orienting for me. Like, what should I do now? Be kinder, you know, be like, kinder. you know, be not like, no matter when faced with a situation that I feel like, how do I get through to this person? Maybe I don't, maybe I'm just kinder. Right. Um, and you mentioned then, because that is based on a dream um, that you're talking about, but you, one of the things you say in that essay is that you tend to work out a lot of your, you know, I guess, life through your dreams. Um, to can you talk a little bit about, about that? Yeah. Um, you know, I think like when I get out of my own way, I'm able to, to, to know what the essential is. And then there's the second work of like then trusting it. And it's mm -hmm. been a long um, and incomplete, whatever, or back, backwards, looping back on itself kind of road of trusting myself. Right. Um, but I think that there are things that happen when our brain is not observed, right? Like there's the two minds, there's my, right. my mind, and then there's the apperception, right? Like me observing that. And when the observing mind is kind of like moved a little bit away, I, I think that's where you really know what you know. And dreams, yeah. when you remember them, are that are an opportunity. They are, yeah, absolutely. I, I do feel the same way too. Although I don't dream, I don't dream very often. And I and when I do, um, sometimes it's like, sometimes I feel better served to just let it go than to hang on and and you know sometimes like work over it. Yeah, I've been told many times by different people who you know that I should probably spend some time with the dreams. You know, but I'm always like, no, it's like. <laughs> But, but, you know, it's no, just say it, more. It, what do you mean? Why no? <laughs> um, I don't know. You know, it's like, um, I think because for me, there are so many um, awake experiences that I still have yet to unpack. And I feel like um, they're piling up on my bookshelves, just like all the, the new books I have that I haven't read, you know? <laughs> I do. I do. <laughs> oh, you do. And, and, um, and so part of me feels like, before I begin to unpack, I'm even able to unpack the dream state, the dream stories. Um, I, I still have work to do here. Not that that's not here. That is a part of here. But, but I think so. I think that's where it's coming from. More like um, almost a feeling of being overwhelmed by, by rich stories that I have to unpack. You know. Yeah, that's really interesting. Because I feel like, you know, so we've talked a little bit about when the world breaks open, which was the memoir right. and it's not in order because I feel like I didn't understand those things in linear order. And right now I'm working on a whole bunch of stuff, writing about girlhood and coming of age and, um, and thinking like, oh, I needed all of these things in between then and now. And then whatever happened today to understand this thing that happened when I was six, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and I think dreams give us that like freedom from the timeline. I agree. They absolutely do. Um, 
and and I think I, I understand what you're saying by that as well. There are things that, you know, a long years ago when I was an undergraduate student at Naropa, I remember, I think it was Ann Waldman. I might be wrong, but I think it was her who was talking about as poets taking on a kind of life work, a life body of work, something that we would investigate for the rest of our lives and continue to work on. And I just kind of at that moment when I heard her say that, I remember thinking to myself, well, isn't that what we can consider all our body of work, you know, like a life's work, because they're constantly in conversation with one another, you know. Um, I think she was talking about something a little more intentional, but but I still felt that and and that there are stories that I tried unpacking in poetry 20 years ago. And only now have I come to a place after having written them three or four times that now I realize, oh, it's actually a book of prose that I have been trying to explore, you know, and we continue to kind of um, experience in time and, and, and practice continues to inform the way we think and rethink some of these things, you know. Um, so you you touched quickly on we're running out of time already but you touched quickly on what's coming up that's what I wanted to ask you so what do you have next oh what's man I've us? been like really this like some people have been having a great time creatively through this time um I have not I've been not I've been reading a lot um but I've just sort of this week have started to feel close in on oh I'm writing I'm writing memoir I don't know if it's essay or um or long form, like whether it's essays or long form, but about um, sexuality and mm. patriarchy in the South Asian Muslim diaspora. So like this sort of how we deal with abuse and body shame and, wow. and all these things and how they shape us to both desire and loathe men, you know, mm. like this yeah, is yeah. sort of, like leading them from behind, praying behind them, but then also having to put up with, you know, like it's just this whole complicated thing. And now as the mother of sons, right. like, oh no, men are just as complex, you know, I, which sounds <laughs> silly. I'm almost 40 to say this, but really um, I feel like there was a lot of training in me to keep me on my toes around men yeah. that my mother, you know, wanted to keep me safe, I think. Um, right. And just unpacking that. Unpacking that and working on that. Nice. Well, of course, we look forward to everything that you that you write. I look forward to everything that you write. And I know our listeners do too. And um, I think we're out of time. And I just want to say it's been a pleasure talking with you. It always is. It always <laughs> is. Thank you so much for having me. Um, and maybe, maybe next time uh, you and I just start a podcast about the books we didn't finish. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a great idea. <laughs> and we'll just like ask listeners to tell us what happened at the end because we started another book. That's exactly what we're going to do. Crowd oh, that's exactly <laughs> it. Oh my God. That's, that's right. Well, it's a pleasure talking to you, Seema. And, you know, congratulations on everything and all the work you're doing, all the workshops that you're offering virtually right now too. Um, just keep, keep all that great stuff coming. I will for sure. Thank you so much, Tim. Thanks so much for having me. Okay. Take care. And that wraps it up for this edition of Words on a Wire. We'd like to thank our special guest today, uh, poet and memoirist Seema Reza. Be sure to pick up her book, A Constellation of Half Lives, out with Right Bloody Books. Also like to thank our wonderful producer, Dee Wu, back there. And also all of you listeners. And we'll see you next week, same time, same place, right here on KTEP 88.5 FM. Mm-hmm.